Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. So before we dive into the show, we wanted to say thank you so much to all the listeners out there. It's always great to have you dive in with us on all these great topics we were to have able to have three times a week. And if you want to hear more about us, go to urusiholdings.com. You can find everything about us from projects we're working on, more about our team members, how we break it up, and all the resources we offer. And if you want to invest, learn more about investing with us there. Also, make sure to check out our multifamily meetup if you're local here in New Jersey. We run the New Jersey Multifamily Investment Meetup, and it happens to be every second Tuesday of the month uh, here in North Central Jersey. So if you're in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, make sure to check it out. And lastly, if you want to learn more about investing in apartment buildings, go to multifamilyfoundation.com. All right, check out the show. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Happy Wednesday. Happy to have you. Thanks for, so much for checking us out. We are super excited for today's show. We have David Hansel. Hey, David, how you doing? Hey, good morning. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing awesome. Thank you. And a little bit more about David. David is the co-founder and president of Alpha Funding Solutions, one of the largest hard money lending companies on the East Coast. David is also a founder and managing member of Lucerne Capital Partners, a real estate private equity firm focused on value add and opportunistic alternative investments that owns and manages multifamily and commercial properties throughout the East Coast. David has a diverse real estate background spanning 20 years that includes construction and development to capital raising and lending. And through his leadership, Alpha Funding has built out a streamlined and comprehensive origination, underwriting, and servicing system that has allowed the company to thrive and deploy over uh, one half billion, and yes, that's billion with a B, in private capital to real estate investors for fix and flip, fix and hold, ground up construction, and commercial and multifamily bridge loans. Uh, David's responsible for the capital raising and management of the firm. That that is made up of both institutional investors alongside with a stable of over 175 high net worth individuals. And his deep knowledge in real estate as a lender has also helped guide the growth of management of Lucerne's substantial real estate equity portfolio that has constantly, consistently provided both the company and investors above market returns. Well, Dave, we've got a lot to dive in for today. I'm super excited to have you. So let's just dive back to the moment. Where was the point that you transitioned into real estate? What was that pinnacle moment? Yeah, I, I have a couple of them. I, it's a great story. So I got started in real estate. I was, a, I was a laid off from the dot-com boom. I was a project manager for a tech company. I had a family friend that was, uh, owned a, real estate, a small boutique real estate office down in Monmouth County. So I didn't know what to do. I got my real estate license, started selling real estate, always was interested in investing. And one of the first seminars I ever went to this kind of stuck with me. The, invest, the, uh, the guy that was presenting said, if you're selling real estate and you're in it for more than two to three years and you don't start buying properties for your own portfolio or investing in real estate, you should get out of the business. And I always say it's not necessarily true. Um, there are some agents that are just complete rock stars and have incredible businesses that don't invest directly, but it resonated with me. So that was a big turning point. I started investing uh, before the first market correct or the the market correction in in the you know two thousand six seven eight in that in that time frame and so I was fortunate enough to get into some flips and and not get hurt um, when the market uh, turned and that was partially because I wasn't you know over extending myself I was true to my numbers and then 
still selling real estate. Um, and then the next turning point was my partner now, Mark Colazzo, um, we had partnered on some deals in those earlier days and he made a loan to someone personally, made a great return. He's like, Dave, you want to go in on a deal? So we started lending our own money and um, bringing in some family and friends. Um, and the next thing was we were talking about really trying to raise capital and, and make a business of this. Um, but, you know, like kind of like 2009, uh, we were just doing a small volume each year between 07 and 09. And then we went to a conference that I was on the fence about going to. And had I never gone, we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have opened our eyes to how to structure raising capital to build this business. And, um, you know, probably that conference and that, that presenter were the two pinnacle moments in my career that pushed me in the direction that I, I wound up going in. So there's so much to dive into here. And if we're, if we're going back here, we, you, you started as an agent on real estate. So many agents sit on the sideline and they seem like they have so many key points in front of them that they can really choose from to, to jump into investing. Why do you think so many agents are hesitant to jump in and invest themselves? Uh, I mean, I think it's the fear of the unknown and, and uh, taking on risk. And sometimes financially, it's a scary p position. When I did it, I didn't have a family. I, I've got a wife and two kids now. I got lots of responsibility. So that, that not having that pressure made it easier. I, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't think it's also access sometimes for, for folks. You know, living and you're in the same world as me as a real estate investor, it's a whole sub world of real estate. Like the general mainstream agents don't know about investing and, and, and it's like this mythical creature. It's like, like they don't even know how to get involved or where to start. And, and the biggest thing, which is something that I'm really passionate about and love is about capital and how to use it to grow a business. And they don't understand that there's money available to help them build a business without having a lot or some tools to put it together. So I think it's a, it's a combination of stuff. Um, and in the world I live in, I see a lot of agents that have transitioned and made investments because I'm out and involved in these groups, but there's a massive, you know, stockpile of agents that just are afraid or it doesn't even cross their mind to do it, you know? That's great. And when you are doing each of these next steps from selling real estate to moving into your early flips to even raising capital, you've talked about the advantage and the use of partnerships. Talk a little bit more of that because people sometimes shy away from partnerships many times because they're scared again of the unknown, but, but not really knowing what to look for in a partner. What are some of the important components that you're looking for in a partnership when you're moving into these different sectors? Yeah. So, just a real quick intro to that. I mean, when people talk about leverage, leverage is the most powerful tool in this world, right? And leverage doesn't just mean money. It means people leveraging people that can fill gaps on stuff that you can't handle in your business or someone that brings in capital or whatever it may be. So, you know, as far as, um, as far as a partnership, like the interesting thing as a lender is we see so many partnerships and we've seen, plenty that have gone bad and others that work out well. And I think um, something that I learned from going to a conference years ago was about hiring the right em the employees and the right people. And, and, the, and the gentleman that was presenting had said, you know, most people spend very little time interviewing and trying to hire the right person for their company. 
And it's such a critical role. Like every person that you bring on to an organization should provide an incremental value to you and the business. And, and sometimes people rush to fill a gap and, and just bring somebody on. And I, I think it's really understanding what you need, what, what balances out your skill set, and that you also are like-minded in solving problems and how you handle challenges. And that doesn't happen overnight when you meet at an event and say, oh, I got money and I got a deal. You're like all excited. And next thing you know, you're, um, you're, um, you're partners with somebody. That can work out well. But spend the time, go out to dinner, grab coffee, lunch, you know, have conversations about what they've done in the past understand how they've handled difficult situations in their life. Like really get to understand and ask a lot of questions that, you know, kind of go to the core of who that person is and see if it aligns with your thinking. Yeah, that's great. And just two key points here, like knowing compliment, complementary skill sets and then being like-minded and problem solving and solving challenges, right? So those two things right there are just everything about partnerships and looking at how you and Mark, you've been able to go into one venture into the next and really just growing your, your uh, capital raising business. And really for that, going into alpha funding, talk to us about that trajectory, what that step looked like and what your business looks like today. Sure. So how we started our capital raising, um, you know, in the very, very beginning, it was like, Hey, Jim, Bob, mom, dad, you know, uncle Bill, whoever you have a few dollars you want to put into this. We're putting our money into this loan. We need a few extra dollars. This is the return. Um, and, and we'll, and basically, you know, just kind of very haphazard. Um, and, the big change, like I said, was going to this conference and coming up with a structure of how we wanted to raise capital. And there were two very distinct paths we could have gone down and we chose one that's not um, as familiar with, I think, the capital raising community. So a lot of folks may set up a fund structure where they raise money into a vehicle and out of that vehicle, they can make investments. And so there's pros and cons to that. And there's um, different types of management required and costs associated with it. We, we decided to kind of do what today is referred to as crowdfunding um, under some different regulations where we were co-lending, um, where we were acting as an agent for the group and each investor could participate in the group. And one of the things I think was really important in any investment that you make is really being clear with the investors about what risks you are taking. And the problem is sometimes in the beginning, and we did as well, you don't even understand all the risks uh, because you can't even imagine the problems that can come your way. Um, but being, being honest and transparent about the risk and creating an alignment of interest. And alignment of interest is super critical. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I see this a lot. Investors want to put a deal together and they're looking to grab the lion's share of a deal. Um, and you can, and there's nothing wrong with it. But if you want to build something long and sustainable and grow a stable of investors, not just one or two guys, because those are people, those people could die. They could run into financial hardship. Their money can get moved to other, other places. It's a commitment to building a diverse capital stack. And we, we had the vision of doing that. And so what we did was we, we kept a 
a very small spread over every dollar the investors put in. And we had real risk dollars side by side with our investors. Um, and we, we, you know, we kept that um, going and those investors were making at the time very strong returns. And, and, but it, they would go out to events or cocktail party or with other family members. And they'd be like, you know what? These guys at Alpha are awesome. I'm making, at that time, they were making, you know, annual yields of like mid-teens consistently. And they were getting monthly cash flow. So like that investment strategy in the loans was, we, we were kind of, we kind of had a crutch or a, a, a boost, right? Because there was monthly cash flow. We're getting payments from borrowers and we're sending the checks out. So it was like crack. They'd see the money every month. They get paid off because these loans are short term. So they get liquidity. They had an alignment of interest. So that investment type really built on itself. And so even though it's, it was easier for us to say, Hey, you know, we, one guy that was wanting to put a lot of money in, we said, look, it's important for us and for you in the long term to build a, a more diverse borrower base or investor base because it'll allow us to expand and in turn help you. And so we didn't make as much money as we, we could have on every deal. And today we still don't, but the volume that we do and the, the, the strength of numbers we have behind us has really catapulted us, uh, not only in Alpha, but as you mentioned in the intro into Lucerne, to be able to, to lean on these folks to write equity checks when we're buying apartment buildings. Um, and they trust us and believe in us and, and they've seen us execute. So, Yeah, and that's actually awesome, right? So you talk about just being as transparent as you can be with your investors and being honest. And you know, sometimes you're not going to know all the risks just because you haven't been through that before, but just being so honest with your investors and not trying to max out every deal. And that's where sometimes I see people falter. They're just trying to get every dollar out of every deal and not really just taking control of just what's going to be the best for everyone in this deal. So if you look at where your business is today from, you know, that first loan you've done to today deploying over a half billion in, in private capital, what would have been some of the, the big aha moments you've had over the last five, 10 years of doing this? I mean, it's just a litany of big problems that have hit us and trying to work our way out of it. So everyone thinks as a lender, you know, it's, um, you know, some type of guaranteed return, but there's a lot of risk in it. And we've had so many issues from, from insurance related uh, pro- uh, problems where, you know, fought like whether it was a fire or the insurance agent taking money and not actually purchasing the policy, um, to title related problems, to partnership problems that, um, wound up putting a deal into default and heavy construction related issues with structural stuff from our bars. So I think the, the things that every, I think the most important thing is that every time we have a problem, we have a, we've built a great team and, and create alignment of interest on our team. And I can talk about that later, but every time we have a problem, we're sitting down every week and talking about what, what problems we have, what success is. And, and we try to implement new processes and procedures and we're always working towards being better. Right. Um, and, and we're always focused on our customer 
our borrowers, providing them the best experience. So we're always trying to figure out better ways to communicate and speed up a process. So we've taken all of our failures and tried to build on them. Um, and I think that's an, it's generic, but it's an important lesson in life and in business, right? If you can't learn from that, you, you just, you just kind of keep getting the same results, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Putting processes in place to, to just supplement the next time this happens to be able to streamline it. That's just key to any business. And if you're not learning from your mistakes, well, that's a, a shame on you mentality. So if you're looking at Alpha, what is Alpha's core focus today? Talk to us a little bit more about, about the brand, the business, where you're operating at and what you're focusing on right now. Sure. So what's interesting about the space is that it's changed dramatically in the last two years. Um, not sure how much people are aware or unaware, but there's a lot of new lenders that are coming on the market. And the entry to become a lender has certainly become a lot lower because um, there's more institutional capital in the space. Um, and and um, there is those institutional capital groups are popping up new lenders that are really at, at the core a broker to that capital source. They're kind of just an exclusive broker. And it's hard for borrowers to see through the, the woods, so to speak, of that. And, and so why do I talk about that is that we've always pride ourselves on being transparent. We've, and, and it sounds so generic or cliche, but like, you know, um, knowing that if we say something, we can deliver on it, that, you know, we control our own capital and, and we want to make sure that we're providing good product, but also really good service. And people don't understand how important it is and how costly not having a good process and team behind to manage all your draws, to manage problems that come up internally. Like we have in-house construction managers that if you are, if a borrower is having a challenge, we'll get them involved to help maybe solve the issue. It's somewhat self-serving for us. It's a great benefit to our borrowers, but um, it's self-serving because we want to get you to a finish line and out as fast as possible. So you can make enough as much money as possible. And we, you know, get, you know, from start to finish on a loan. So just to circle back, I think probably the biggest focus is just trying to provide good product and service and make sure that we're responsive to, you know, the changing needs of the market. Um, you know, we're, we're always looking to figure out how to, to improve on that and, and just being a reliable source of good capital partner to our, to our borrowers. Sure. And with so many new lenders across the landscape, what are some of the questions that borrowers should be asking? What are some of the points that maybe a new borrower should really focus on? Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question. So um, some of the important things, and, and it's hard really in our space to compare apples to apples. Um, and it's also hard to understand when somebody tells you they'll do one thing, but when the underwriting comes through, they'll do something else because they didn't, you know, they didn't ask enough questions. Um, so I think some of the critical things are, you know, um, like understanding what their application process is and the time from to funding, what documentation is required, understand, maybe ask 
you know, how much have they funded? What is their process for doing draws? Like how long does it take? What paperwork? Do you use a third party company um, to do that? Do you approve it yourself or do you have another capital partner behind you that has to approve them? Um, on the interest, um, you know, you want to understand how they charge the interest. So there's been a lot of new product types that have come out to the market. And at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of the costs wind up being the same. It's just how you get to it. So like, um, you know, one big thing that a lot of lenders will do in the space is they may charge interest on your construction money before you utilize it. So let's say you have a hundred thousand dollar construction draw. Um, you want to ask them, am I going to be charged on the full construction piece before it's deployed? So we've always charged as it goes out the door. Um, and the reason why some of these lenders do is because obviously that money has to be put aside for you. Um, and they want to charge you interest on that. And it actually is somewhat, commonplace in this space. So that's a huge question to ask. Um, and um, I think, you know, once you kind of know those things, you can model out what the real costs look like based on how your project will move along. Uh, we, we always offer to borrowers whether they choose to work with us or not. And most of the time I find that it works in our favor, but we'll always model out terms that you get from one borrower and what we will. And sometimes we're not the cheapest and I'm fine with that. But uh, I always joke, I'm not saying I'm mother Teresa, but I, I want people to know and make good decisions. What frustrates me more than anything is when somebody makes a business decision because they think they're getting something better and they don't really understand what they're getting. And, and um, you know, those, those costs can really vary. What are, what kind of fees are they charging up front? Are they charging you to pull credit? Are they charging you all these different little fees, you know, um, and, and kind of, you know, interview them as much as a, a lender is going to want to interview you, you know? Yeah. And those are some of the most important points. So if you are looking for a loan and David just hit on something that can make or break your business, cause everything is speed. Everything is about the speed of the process. And so if you're not asking these questions up front of the lender and you get into a process and again, you, you may have a motivated seller that needs to close in two or three weeks. And if the application process takes two or three weeks and another two or three weeks to fund, well, and then the process of draws can be upside down. It really can just change the landscape of how your project and how your returns are going to, are really going to shape up. So go back, listen to that, listen to those five minutes of just every step there and use them in your core business today. So where do you see some of the mistakes that borrowers go, or maybe a first time borrower or someone who, who's newer on the side, what are some of the common mistakes or common pitfalls that listeners should really avoid? So first be true to the numbers. Sometimes that's hard because you don't know how to come up with the numbers, but um, don't force a budget to be lower then it, it should be to get work done. Like make sure that you get really, you know, get a couple bids. Uh, the biggest risk in flipping or any investment that has a value add component is in uh, the, the contracting and the work. Um, especially right now, the market is thriving and contractors are busier than ever. And um, you know, 
you want to make sure that you check referrals from these groups um, and talk to them. And it's a hard balance because some of these legit guys, you just, they're going to charge too much to work with an investor um, that it doesn't make financial sense. And then also just getting them on a schedule. So I think um, making sure you, you vet the contractor and get real numbers um, for your co contract and then be realistic about your numbers on what the, the out sale, what the ARV value is. So we do, um, when we get an app in and we do our borrower interview, which all happens within 24 to 48 hours, um, we're ordering an ARV appraisal. That's an after repair value appraisal. And the, um, the appraiser will get your scope of work and budget. Sometimes it's not complete at the time of the, um, uh, at that time, but it's in the works. But basically the appraiser is going to go out to the house and snap his fingers and pretend like all the work is already done and in a beautiful workmanlike manner. And they come back. And I, I can tell you that we've, we, we get on both sides of the coin. It's like, um, we get guys that wind up selling a property and they get frustrated because they said your appraiser said the numbers were, were higher and I didn't get that number. And also on the flip side that they're lower um, and they want to push the value even higher. Um, what I always say is like, there's sometimes there are bad appraisals and, and you always want to make sure that you have good comps. Um, but understanding that an appraisal is, the method that backs all financing for mortgages in the United States. And that, you know, if, if an appraisal feels low, like you can go back and question and we do all the time, we'll bring other comps or say, why are these adjustments? But at the end of the day, don't fight those numbers because if they are right and, and you need them to be higher to make a deal work, then, then you're just forcing yourself into a potentially bad deal. And, and so you'd rather be conservative on it. The reason why people try to push it is because they can get more leverage. Well, you, you know, if the risk of a deal goes higher, meaning that the margins are lower because that ARV is lower, the last thing you want to do is tack on more leverage because that leverage gets expensive at the end. So, um, let, it's a, it's a funny situation. Lenders always, you know, we don't make any money unless we lend money and we spend more time talking people out of bad deals than, than we do. Cause a selfishly, we want you to come back and be an investor for a long time. And, and, and I literally, I was on the phone with a guy yesterday. They've had a couple conversations, a new, new, new borrower, um, hasn't done a deal yet, has some contracting background and he ran these numbers to me and he, I said, well, what do you think your profitability looks like on this deal? And he thought he was going to make 50,000 on a $300,000 investment, which isn't necessarily so bad, but he left out a couple big things. He forgot that he's paying a realtor. He has to pay realty transfer tax. He has to pay taxes and insurance and there's financing costs. Um, and when the let when the when the um, when the deal is and he's already under contract with it, yeah. so the deal margins were really tight. And um, his response was, "But it's a great area, and and and, and properties move." And I said, 
yeah, there's lots of great areas and properties move, but the numbers are the numbers. I mean, exactly. actually, there's more downside if the area for some reason has a hiccup. You need that area to be great. That's why it's only making 50, which actually I ran through the numbers, put them at like the low $20,000 range. I was going to say 18, so I wasn't far off. I was going to say after all that, probably 18,000 left after all that, right? So Yeah, and so the um, the funny thing is that I always ask people when you, when you, like I always ask the, the first couple things I ask a borrower when they call up, uh, if they're running a deal by me, just give me the address, what your purchase price is, what your rehab budget is, and what you believe the ARV value is. And then the next question I ask them is, let me ask you, is your ARV, just be honest with me and yourself, um, is your ARV value ultra conservative, middle of the road, or do you think you're being a cowboy with those numbers, yeah. right? And so there are th those are three very big buckets, right? We can all, like, if you own your own home, you know, there's the, there's, I've seen these cartoons, there's the value of what you think it's worth, there's the value of what the appraiser or bank thinks it's worth, and what a, a new buyer thinks it's worth. So there are these buckets, and, and like, and, and you kind of, you kind of want to understand, like, and be honest with yourself there, because if you have to hit the ultra aggressive cowboy number just to get um, a meager margin, then, then you're really in trouble. So the point is that you got to know the numbers and talking with a lender like ourselves who really enjoys working with first time borrowers and, and like to be consultative and, and, and build that rapport ask them and say, well, how does my underwrite look on this? And what do you, what do you, what do you think about it? It's a second set of eyes, but um, you know, being true to your numbers is absolutely critical and relying on a lender is a great way to fact check that, you know? Yeah. And that's awesome. And if you're looking at leverage, just how you can really grow your business, utilizing leverage successfully, what are, what are some of the critical roles leverage can play in really just building a sustainable flipping wholesaling business or other? Sure. So you, it's really hard to build wealth or create real uh, income in real estate without leverage. So um, the question is when to use it and how much to use. So the reason why, hard money, or we like to call ourselves the softer side of hard money, but the reason why hard money is a, a very powerful tool and in real estate investing is that you're able to get a lot of leverage because there's a much higher future value of a property. And so as a lender, we're saying, look, if you get this work done, the future value is worth 25, 30% more. And so we're giving that high leverage based off of this future value. The real risk for us and investor is, can I execute and are the finishes and the work that I'm going to do really going to translate to this future value that, that creates this profitability. And so when your margins are tight, meaning like I'll speak in real numbers, like if you are, if, if you're all in on a project that's $80 and it's worth only $100 when it's done, there's only 20% margin in that deal. There's not a lot of room for error. If your contractor goes over, the mark you have to sell for less, you hold it longer and you gotta pay more in taxes and insurance. 
those deals, if you are going to do it, you probably don't want to take much leverage or keep your leverage low unless you know you can be in and out quickly. Um, and, and you know that you have an end buyer or you know that the market is super liquid because time will erode your profits pretty quickly in that. Um, but when you have really meaty deals, like where your margins are really, really strong, meaning like maybe you have north of 30, 35, 40% margin, you want to lever that up as much as you can. And, and you want to take on debt because you now, what you're doing in essence is you're saying, okay, if I can get as a, as a gross exaggeration, if I can get a hundred percent of the money and I don't dig in my pocket for anything, my return is really infinite. Right. And, and to build a sustainable business in real estate, you have to look at what your return on your investments are and your dollars when they go out the door, what you're making back on them and the value of dollars sitting on the sidelines to execute on future opportunities. So, um, some folks are sitting on a lot of cash and they choose not to use leverage, but you, you, you really, you know, in real estate investing, your cash flow is like this, right? And your profits and your money comes in and out. So I've seen folks that are really good investors that have worked off a stockpile of their own money that never use leverage. Um, and, they say, well, I have enough money to do this deal. But at the end of the day, they have the resources to do other deals. And by using some leverage in that project, they can keep fresh powder on the side. And, and, and it becomes a barrier to them to move forward, right? They don't even know it because mentally they're not thinking about another deal because they don't have the cash. It's all in this one deal, you know? And so by doing that and, and leverage is, you know, like I said, being responsible. If you have all the cash, you could just borrow the, uh, you could buy properties for cash and use construction money from a lender or borrow half of the purchase. And, um, you know, it allows you to really expand your business, uh, by having that leverage. Yeah, I love that business expansion and ultimately it just limits you on where your business can grow to, right? And and you're not having money on the side and not having reserves in place. It's a scary thing. So sometimes I'll see people put all their money into one deal and there's just so many things out of our control. You know, the market could shift dramatically. There's so many things out of control with all your money in there. If you don't have the right reserves to jump into a deal or to, to you know, carry yourself for an extra three, four months or other things that may pop up. You know, you get sidelined by a permit taking too long or utilities, um, you know, some utility issue. Well, that can kill your deal, kill your returns. And if you have all your money into it, it can really put you in a hard position. Now, yeah. Looking at where Alpha is moving over the next uh, two, three, five years, how do you see the landscape cha uh, changing and Alpha adapting to that? So uh, where we're moving, I guess, first I'll address is that um, we, our roots are in the Northeast, in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Um, but over the last five years, we've started to move up and down the East Coast um, with not a huge footprint in some of those markets. But we are actively starting to expand, you know, in Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas. So we anticipate more growth down in those markets. Um, there's a lot of uh, investment going on and, and we think that the long-term 
values in in like especially like in the Carolinas and Georgia um, have a, a lot of uh, leg room to grow. Um, we're just we're continually like I said before, looking to strive and build on our borrower experience and staying connected um, with them and providing value. So we're just focused on our borrower experience and focused on growing, uh, on growing some of these new markets. So as you move into these new markets, is there, you've talked about a little of the growth reasons to this. Um, how many states are you currently in? Uh, it's mostly on the East Coast, the four states you mentioned. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, the, I'd say 95% of our, maybe 90% of our business is in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, but we have loans in, up from in Massachusetts to, you know, all down the East Coast in Maryland, Virginia, Georgia, you know, Atlanta, uh, in, in the Carolinas and Florida, we've done some stuff out in Chicago. So we're, we're looking to, um, you know, bring on internal folks to be representatives for us in those markets and, and kind of connect with borrowers um, the way that we have up here in the Northeast. So, um, you know, I think boots on the ground is important and understanding the local market. So um, we're working on some of that now and have some folks down in Florida and Atlanta right now that are helping us to do that. And, you know, we're going to continue to expand on that. So with so much going on in your business, you guys are expanding into new markets. You have Lucerne Capital building alphas grown to phenomenal heights here. What are some of the core principles or, or just say the philosophies you instill in your daily activities just to make you most productive? I think the, a, cu a couple quick points. One is when we first started lending, we were like rock stars. Nobody had money. It was coming out of the market and people would come up and be like, they'd want to talk to you and be like, like, Oh, I want to talk to this guy. He's the money guy. And I said to people back then, I may have shared this with you before, but I said to people back then, Hey, listen, I don't have a business without people like you. And I go, there'll come a day where I need you more than you need me. And I think it's being respectful of, our investors and our borrowers, I need the borrowers and the relationship to us is so important. And so I never forget that. And, and I make sure that our team is that way as well. And like, you know, so making sure that, that we treat our borrowers with respect, understand that, you know, what their needs are and intending to them without taking care of them, we don't have a business. So that's, that's absolutely critical. And then the next thing is not get drunk with, um, you know, just putting money out on the street. The one thing I'm super, super proud about, which is that we've got a very low historical default rate. And um, what's somewhat unique about my company and the way that we handle quote unquote sales is that all of our employees are tied in in a very meaningful way to our bottom line, almost like a cooperative. And, and the reason why I explain that is that, you know, if we make a bad loan and we lose money on those deals, it hurts. It can hurt all of us. And so we don't want to just put money out. We want to, we want to be responsible. And in turn, by being responsible on risk, 
it also helps the borrowers that we work with because we're guiding them uh, as well at times. And sometimes they, you know, maybe we don't want to go forward on something because the margins are tight. Maybe they go somewhere else. And that's, that's the hard thing is that staying the course because there are a lot of new lenders out there and there are lenders, like I said, that are really more brokering to some of these financial institutions and there's easy ways for them to push stuff through so they can get paid a fee where the, the, the backing capital partner will still get the loan approved, but it's really a bad deal that's going to cause problems or there's a high chance that's going to cause problems for that borrower and, and potentially put them at a loss. And it's really no sweat off their back, but myself and my team don't look at it that way. So the motto that we started with was, would we put our mothers in it, right? My, my partner, Mark, and I, would you make a loan when you're talking to somebody and you're looking at the deal, would you put your mother's money in it? And, you know, that's the guide that we take on the lending side. So take care of our clients and don't lose our mother's money. Yeah, I love that. So we got we got the softer side of hard money and would you put your mom's money into it? And if you if you follow those two principles, you can't go wrong. And looking at that from the business side, is there from the personal side some some words you live by in your daily activities or your daily life? I wish I had some great phrase or words that I do. I mean, it's just about I'm about relationship and it's so over overplayed, but like, you know understanding what somebody else needs and figuring a way that you can work together and provide value. And that value may not mean business or money for you today. It may mean never, but connecting people and taking care of them or trying to be a value add and giving back, whether it's through knowledge, whether it's through, um, you know, uh, solving a problem or just being a listening board. Um, you know, like I said, those are, that's kind of what my focus is. And, and then just on the financial side, just being true to numbers. And, and sometimes, and again, I said this before, I'll say it again. The hard part in the beginning is really understanding numbers and how that relates to risk and what all the, all, all the pieces mean. But again, connecting with folks like yourself or other people that are active in the space and lenders like myself, you know, talking to them and, and picking their brains to, to try to understand that. Yeah, I love that. And there's a lot of real estate investors listening to the show today that are maybe on the fence, just haven't done their first deal or only really maybe just put their toe into the water. Just from 20 years in the business, what would be one piece of uh, vital advice you would give to a new real estate investor just trying to get started? I have a couple of them. I'll try to make it quick, but awesome. fake it till you make it and I'll, I'll elaborate on it. Right. So I always say to people, pick an area that you're looking at that you want to be in, drive around, get to know the houses, talk to wholesalers, go to events, make offers on houses. Every house that you see that could be a possible investment because there's a value add, do the math on it and make the offer, make a hundred offers and, and Get pre-approved with a group like us. Once you're set up with our system, we'll provide you free proof of funds. Like, and, and, and take as many pieces of stress off the table for yourself. So like lining up with a lender, now you know you have something there. Don't find a deal and then, holy crap, 
where's all the money coming from or how am I going to do this? So just act and go through all the steps. And then one day a deal is going to come together. You're going to get really nervous about it. Um, but you're going to call up your contractor and say, Hey, can you give me a bid on this? You're talking to them. You're going to call us up and, you know, talk to us about how we can structure the deal and give you some options. And you're going to, you know, kind of go forward, but like, just do all the activities, you know, um, and don't, don't say, well, I can't do this because I need this and this done. Just do it. And if something comes and you can't move it forward, then take a step back, learn from your mistake and figure out those two pieces that you need to get done next time. So you can execute on the deal. Love it. Action and persistence, action and persistence. Yeah. I love it right there. Well, David, this has been an awesome show. I mean, we went through so many different parts from starting out selling real estate to moving into early flips to raising capital into the lending process that is alpha funding today. And just talking about the application process from the time of funding for the process for draws for an interest rate charged. Uh, sometimes in construction, it hasn't been drawn yet. Even moving into just how leverage can play such a critical role in your business and how people should really identify the right loans for business. This has just been an awesome show for people that want to get pre-approved uh, by Alpha or maybe have a, a property that they're looking to get funded on today. What's the best way to connect with you and your team? Yeah. So you could visit www.alphafunding.com. That's alphafunding.com. All over the website, we have these quick pre-approvals. You can click on them and just put your name. If you have a deal, there's some, there's like literally takes 30 seconds to fill out. And then someone from my team will get back to you quickly about the deal or just to connect with you. Um, so that's just the connection. You could, again, alphafunding.com. You could email info at alphafunding.com. If you want to email a direct question, that's info at alphafunding.com. Or call our team at 732-657-2014. The last part I'll put on it is that those that just gives us a soundbite of a deal and gets us connected. If if we like the deal or you want to get pre-approved, um, we have a super easy app process. We don't require bank statements, tax returns, none of it. It literally takes 15 minutes to fill out our app. You do it one time and then you're basically pre-approved with us. Um, it's a personal financial statement and there's um, a credit waiver, a credit and background waiver form. And um, you'll do a 15 minute call with one of our underwriters, which happens within 24 to 48 hours. And then you're off to the races. So whenever you find a deal, we just need the deal numbers um, and we get, get the ball rolling. And it's a quick, you know, really quick and easy process. Uh, David, I love it. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good seeing you. Good seeing you as well. And again, this is a, yeah, exactly. Through the computer, right? So the uh, podcast in real life. And this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Thank you all the listeners. Thank you for checking out the show. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for helping us hit our metrics each and every month. Thank you and talk to you shortly. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.